In a world filled with spyware, ransomware, fish, and more, we need you to be the hero. In this podcast, information protection and security is bringing new ways to fight back against the dangerous actors looking to do digital and physical harm. We'll give you everything you need to know on a different topic of risk every month. Coming to you from IPS with love. Welcome to From IPS with Love. Our guest today is Josh Lewis, and he's director on the Business Risk Solutions team. He's going to talk to us about uh, all of the terms and conditions that you see whenever you try to use a website, an app, or get on social media, um, and how we should maybe think twice before clicking I accept. Welcome, Josh. Thank you for having me. Um, so it seems like every day we're confronted with these terms and conditions, right? And the little box that makes us check I accept before we do anything. Um, does anyone really read those? I don't think so. I, I've seen some studies where uh, upwards of 95% of people don't even change any of the default privacy settings on their apps. Mm. And so I would imagine most people don't uh, read those terms before accepting. Which could be dangerous because I know you're in law school and those are legally binding. Those are a contract, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's really two things. One is when you create an account somewhere, a lot of times the last step is you're hitting that except for you're agreeing to all the terms and conditions for that website, uh, which is really like a lot of the legalese where it's, uh, you know, what are your rights and what is the company going to do with your data? And then, then there you see a lot of times if you're just visiting a website, you may see the pop up at the bottom where it's asking you to allow or accept. Mm. And that is really more of the, uh, tracking side, so you may have heard of cookies before, mm -hmm. and so that's letting that website track you as a, on the internet on what you may do. So it's really those two two aspects that you may be seeing when you visit a website. Okay, so so, and then why should we care what they're doing with our data or if they're taking our data? I, I think it depends on the website because you, know, you may not care, right? It may be mm -hmm. appropriate to not care if you're if it's your bank or if it's uh, a, a vendor that you want to use, you may not, you know, you may be willing to accept that they may be doing stuff with your data that you may not like because you get value from the website. Or it may be where, uh, you know, you're kind of, it's an iffy site, you don't really, you, know, you don't really, maybe it's a form or something like that that you don't really have to use. And so you mm -hmm. may want to question, okay, is it, is, is what I'm giving up, meaning your data worth the benefit you're getting from that site? Right. And, and when we've talked before about this, you said one of the things is you don't have any negotiating power, right? Your negotiating power is either click I accept or don't use that app or don't use social media. So that's what you have to weigh, right? Is it worth it um, for what you're getting? Yeah. Yeah. It's really a take it or leave it scenario. You use it and you accept their terms or you, you know, go try to find uh, another site that does something similar and they're probably going to have very similar terms. Mm -hmm. So... And the thing about these terms and conditions is um, they kind of point up the fact that there is no free lunch, right? That that's how you're paying for all of these free services out there. You're paying with your data. The company can use that data to make money, right? With advertising. Um, what are some other ways that they would use your data? Yeah, exactly. There, there is no free lunch. And I think uh, advertising is the main way. Uh, I saw a study where in 2022, global spend on advertising was about $780 billion. Uh, I think with Google alone, their revenue was like $280 billion or so last year. 
Uh, and so really that's what the big business is. It's, it's, the, it's the advertising and it's being able to target advertising to certain demographics, right? So if you're, mm. uh, you know, if you're a company and you want to market, you know, back kind of the old days with the broadcast television, you would say, okay, CSI is on Thursday night. So I want to, you know, I think these kind of people are the ones that watch CSI. So I want to advertise to that uh, demographic of people, or maybe I want to get into this new market. So I want to advertise to this demographic of people, people, but it's really a, you know, a shotgun approach because there'd be a lot of people that watch that television <laughs> show and watch the commercials that probably were never going to buy your product. Well, and you know, in the internet age now, you know mm. that, okay, I want to, I'm a, a, a running shoe maker and I know I want to advertise to somebody that's, you know, 30 to 45 that likes to run, then, you know, all these websites can aggregate your data and Google can aggregate your data and say, I know that Josh is, you know, in that age range, he likes to run, uh, he may be looking for new shoes because he did a Google search for uh, mm -hmm. running shoes recently. And so now I can deliver that ad to Josh specifically and, Google can charge that running shoe company more money. The running shoe company is going to gladly pay it because they know that they're going to get a lot of higher, mm. you know, turnover on the advertising because they're targeting somebody that's more likely to to buy the product versus the scatter shot like before. And so, mm. you know, that's really where it is: is being able to aggregate your data to say, hey, I want to target, you know, these specific people for advertising, and you know, that that's really where the where it comes from. Wow. Yeah. So part. they really find out more, much more about you than just your gender and, and age group, your demographics. They really can get specific, like you say, and see that you were just searching for running shoes. Um, well, so all of this obviously brings up privacy concerns. What are the state or federal laws that are protecting us? Yeah. And, and that's where it's sort of uh, scary, if you will. There's not a lot, mm -hmm. especially in the U.S. that 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 protects us. And you know, I think a lot of people probably heard of GDPR in the EU, and that was really a way to give uh, consumers control over their data. And so mm -hmm. some states in the U.S. have followed suit. So California in mm -hmm. 2018 passed a law that really tried to give consumers power and control over their data. Uh, since then, four states have followed suit, uh, where really the legislation is around as a consumer you know, can I ask the company or I have the right now to ask the company to delete all my data or I have the right to tell them you can use my data for your website, but you're not allowed mm -hmm. to sell it to any other company for them to use. Mm -hmm. Or I can say, you know, how are you using my data? So it's really in empowering the consumer and really going back to the initial discussion about terms and services. It really forces that, you know, gives the consumer more bargaining power because now these uh, companies have to, you know, that's kind of the floor. They can't take those rights away mm -hmm. because if they're operating in that state, they have to abide by that that state law. Right. I mean, so it's it's interesting that in the EU and, and in the UK, GDPR, they um, their definitions of of protecting people's rights, they give the person a lot more power over their own data. The idea being it's your data, you should be able to control how it's being used. And we really don't seem to have that mindset, or at least that mindset is not informing legislation as much here in the U.S. We're slower to do it. Yeah, there, you know, there was some talk last year about passing a federal uh, legislation. Uh, it, it made it, it, I don't think it made it to a, to a floor vote in the House, but it was uh, pr pretty heavily discussed. And that's probably the closest I feel like we've come recently to having a federal mm. legislation. There's, you know, each, each year there's talk in the various states of, is, are more states going to pass 
you know, state-specific legislation. Tennessee had their own uh, Data Protection Act that was introduced, and I don't think it made it out of committee to even get a four vote. So that's, I think, if these states realize they need to do something, it's just a matter of getting the momentum mm. uh, to uh, to get something passed. I'm not sure if a lot of states are kind of sitting back. Yeah, I think it's kind of two approaches. The state can sit back and say, well, we're going to wait on the federal government to do something, or some states are going to say, well, we can't wait on the, the feds because who knows when it's going to happen, and they're trying to do something themselves. But what, from a consumer standpoint, though, is now you've got consumers that you know, may not that know their rights as they stand, and now if all these states have different rights, then it makes it even uh, more difficult for them to know what they can do and what they can make the company do and not do. Right. It's a really complex issue, and it's not helped by the fact that each state will has a different um, has different laws and could have pass different differing laws about it. Uh, I mean, anything you would recommend that we can do to help move that legislation along? Yeah, I think uh, it's kind of cliche, but writing your you know state representative to say, hey, in the state I live in, I at least want you to do something, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, writing your uh, your Congress uh, men and women that say, hey, I want you to do something at a federal level because I want, uh, and I don't want it to matter what state I'm, I'm living in. I want every, you know, every uh, federal law so that it's easier for consumers to know. It's easier for com- you know, from a company standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are, you know, as more states pass this, these laws, if you're a multi-state company, you're eventually you're just gonna uh, go to whatever the most stringent is so that you don't have to try to operate differently in all these different states. So right. yeah, I, th- I think either as more states pass it or as a federal law does something that's gonna give uh, give us consumers more rights. Yeah, so it's, it's complex and I think it's made more complex when we see those terms and conditions because sometimes they're in really small print. They can go on for pages and pages or screens and screens. Um, do you, what do you, do you actually read them as, as someone in law school? What do you look for? I, I, I don't, I don't typically, uh, especially when on, on your signing up for a site and you got, you got to <laughs> click the box and, you know, you had to click, you know, usually it's clicking a link and having some other screen pop up. And so I, I, I'd, I'd rarely, I'd say read them now, if I'm, you know, if someone's sending me something to sign, then I'm probably more likely to, mm-hmm. to skim through it to, to see what it says. But yeah, I'm. You know, as it's kind of like you're rolling the dice. Like, I, I need to use it. I'm not just arbitrarily signing up for this site. So I need to use it for something. So I'm just going to kind of take go ahead. T- take what they offer. Well, I think you did say that you will often vet a site, though, by Googling maybe. Like, yeah. you know, TikTok, terms of services. Is there any controversy around that? And then you can see quickly others have parsed what the problems are. Yeah, like, you know, if it's a site where you're unsure about it, definitely, you know, we talk about Google, so they're going to know you look for it, right? But uh, yeah, I think you're seeing what other people are saying and if there's any kind of any red flags that, mm-hmm. that raise up. And of course, this is something, yeah, I think Joey Tamboli talked about this on our previous podcast, but you know, mm-hmm. you could, you know, create different email accounts and use uh, for depending on the site. So if it's a site that you're going to use a lot, then maybe use your real information. If it's a site like I just really just need to sign up and visit it once for mm-hmm. doing a very specific thing, then maybe you can use those email address, those kind of you know, fake email addresses, mm-hmm. if you will, so that they then, you know, you're not giving them all your real data and they can't aggregate your data. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So mess with them a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that you'd mentioned to me that I hadn't realized either is that often in those terms and conditions, there's language around arbitration, right? Which, why, why is that something to be wary of or think about? I, I think the sense I get for that is really, uh, you know, if you're a company, 
you're probably scared of juries, right? So you don't, if, if something happened and then someone filed a lawsuit against you, you'd rather not go in front of a jury because you're kind of mm -hmm. rolling the dice on, are you gonna get some big damages award against you? So I think if you actually do read the terms and conditions, a lot of these uh, things you're signing, is probably an arbitration agreement in there that says if there's a dispute arises, essentially you're gonna go to arbitration and have it decided there. And I think, you know, my, my just personal opinion, I think, it doesn't mean, yeah, I would say that it doesn't mean the outcome is going to be unfair. It means that it'll probably be, you know, you're not going to get the maybe the possible huge damages if it goes in front of a jury. Right. So there's not that kind of backup of, well, I'll sign up and if something goes wrong, I will just sue this company and make a big fuss about it. Yeah. Because they're going to do what they can to keep that undercover. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And that this would be the biggest reason to read those terms and services, right? Because depending on what you're mm -hmm. using the site for, you can think through what's the worst that could happen and then what are my... Know, remedies if something does happen and then understanding what your remedies actually are based on mm -hmm. what you're agreeing to when you sign up for that service. Right. So if we don't really have much of a choice when it comes to the I accept, the choices accepting or not using the service, what are some other things we can do to protect our data from getting out there? I think it's being just careful about what you sign up for and what you use and know that uh, that you lose control of it when you sign up for this company. Uh, you know, unless you happen to live in one of the, the five states that five or six states mm. that have a data protection law, you lose a lot of control of it when you sign up. So you just have to be careful and thoughtful about uh, what you're using it for, what data you're giving them, and and not you know not do something that you wouldn't want to be broadcast to the <laughs> world. And and you mentioned earlier too that so many people don't change the default privacy settings. So that's something you should definitely make sure things are private if you have that option. Yeah, right? yeah, especially on more of the, the sites that are more social media based, mm -hmm. then, you know, go in and look and say, and see uh, what are the privacy settings, who can see my information, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if it's that there's these fitness sites that, that track, your, you know, may track your runs in those, then you may want to, you know, some of them allow you to hide where you start and stop your activity at, which could be, you know, help, help disguise where you live. And so I think mm -hmm. it's really just taking a few minutes and reviewing what all your options are within that the app and making sure that you, you know, configure that appropriately. Right, right. Make, just taking an effort for a little privacy checkup. Yeah. Thank you so much, Josh. And we always like to end uh, the From IPS We Love podcast by asking, keeping with our James Bond theme, do you have a favorite uh, Bond actor? That, you know, that's a good question. I, I think probably Daniel Craig, just because that's, uh, I remember most of those movies. So, I, you know, I would, uh, Growing up, I think I would catch like uh, Sean Connery, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, on uh, reruns and stuff. And so those were always good. But as far as you know, I think it was really the Daniel Craig where I would actually you know seek out a, a Bond movie to watch. I think he's the one that's firmly implanted in my mind is <laughs> James Bond. He had quite a run, yeah, definitely. Well, great. You can listen to this or any one of our from IPS with Love episodes on all major podcast platforms, or you can watch the videos on Media Connect. Just search from IPS with love.